only source of true delight whom I unseen adore. Unveil thy beauties to my sight that I might love thee more. Oh, that I might love thee more. You're listening to the weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. The following message was recorded live from our sanctuary. Our prayer is that this message would nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you as you listen. See my bleeding dying. Our scripture reading this morning is from Romans chapter 3. It can be found on page 941 of your Pew Bible. And while you're turning today, I'll go ahead and apologize that you have to listen to my voice after listening to hers. Amen. All right, we will read Romans 3, verses 21 through 31. Hear the word of the Lord. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith In Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness, because in His divine forbearance He had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one. He will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. The word of the Lord. Let's ask for the Lord's grace as we uh, come to study his word together. Lord, we in ourselves, as you have said, can do no good thing. And we, we can't come to your word apart from your grace. We must worship you by the spirit. Lord, how will we submit to your word apart from your spirit? How will we have a heart to love you apart from your spirit? How will we be convicted of your word and convinced of the glory of Jesus and his salvation apart from your spirit? So we ask, give him abundantly. And O oh, oh spirit, fill our hearts and fill our lives and govern us and use the word as Paul in those sister passages said in the one place uh, that we're to be filled with the Spirit and the other 
that we let the word of Christ richly dwell within us. And so, O Lord, may your word richly dwell within us. And in that way, the Spirit so fill and govern our lives. So we ask this for the glory of Jesus. Amen. If, if you're on a, a performance basis with God, you'll have one of two results. <clears throat> one will be a life of anxiety because you never know if you've done enough. This was the life I lived as a young man. I won't go into detail because I've mentioned it before in my testimony, but uh, I would even say the Lord's Prayer right before I went to bed just in case I died. And I, I thought that would be a little hedge, Some one more thing I might could throw out there that would keep, you know, would tilt the scales in my favor. You know, the guy, well, you know, you prayed the Lord's Prayer before you went to bed. I mean, that's where it was for me, that kind of performance and anxiety of would I, what was going to happen to me in Judgment Day. <clears throat> another approach, another result of that kind of performance basis is that we become boastful. I mean, we wouldn't want to use that word because it's so bad to be boastful, but we end up having a confidence in ourselves. Uh, we end up having a confidence in either who I am, who I know, what my connections are, what my family is, what I have, what I can do, my success, my gifts, my education, my personality, or it could be the church I belong to, the doctrine that I know, the things that I've taught, uh, the things that, uh, that my attendance, my spiritual disciplines, so many things, and we begin to think that we're fundamentally better than other people. And we don't really sin like other people. We don't really need God's grace like other people because we're on a performance basis with God. So if we're depending on ourselves, we, we tend toward anxiety or boasting, overconfidence. Any confidence is overconfidence, like in that sense. Now, I would mention a third kind of category in case you fit this this morning. Uh, and that would be rather than anxiety or boasting, just neglect. Uh, you keep God even further at a distance. To say that you're on a performance basis with God would be like, well, I don't even care that much about God. You know, I, don't, I, I, I define God is as he doesn't matter to me. That's how I define God. The contours of God are just vague and indefinite. He's just out there somewhere. And for heaven is, I define that as, I don't know and I don't care. You know, it's just out there. It's not a concern for me. God is basically a shoulder shrug. And that's it. Well, I'd, I'd say this, that this message of Romans that we're, we've been in for some time <clears throat> is all about how God has come into this world. That he has manifested himself and his great saving activity, his great saving outreach in the person of Jesus Christ. And he's done that because, as Paul says in the first chapter when he's introducing this message, this good news of how God has entered this world to save. He says, because the wrath of God is on all the ungodliness of mankind. And then he lumps everybody so if you're sitting here, at least hear this, that the message of the Bible is you are under the wrath of God by nature. We all are. We're all in trouble in that sense. 
We all are brought before God's throne with our mouths shut and there's nothing we can say to get out of it. And he speaks of a day of wrath that's coming. And then he gets really intimate and says, when he comes to judge the secrets of mankind. So that's, that's, we would say to you in your neglect of God, if that's your situation, you will have, we're announcing, whether you believe it, you will have to deal with God in the most serious way. In such a way that will, we think, unnerve and unhinge you in that judgment day. And you will be exposed as any of us would be had we not found Jesus Christ. And so this is a message that is for every single person. This message this morning about faith, about faith. And the thing I'm interested in for those of you who are seeking God in some way is that you completely depart from any kind of performance basis with God. Now, three things we'll talk about. First, it's just how in this passage, and we've, for those of you who haven't been here, we've been in this passage for three or four weeks. I say that unapologetically because this is the heartbeat, the center uh, of, of this gospel. But the first thing is just by faith, you experience salvation. So we're going to just look at how often faith is mentioned here. But also, secondly, by faith, he justifies those who've lost the glory of God. He's, he, he, so it's by faith that we experience the salvation, and he actually declares us as part of his people and righteous before him, though we have lost the glory of God completely. And then thirdly, we're going to see that it's by faith that even religious people are justified. Now, basically, in this passage... And in Romans up to this point, he's making the point that even the Jews are as lost as the Gentiles. Okay, That even the Jews have the same need of God's grace as the Gentiles. But I'm framing it in a way that is more applicable to us. Even religious people are utterly dependent upon God's grace by faith. Well, first, just let's look at how often Paul just mentions the, the word faith. So that the first point, by faith we experience his salvation. If you go back to the theme in chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, and I hope you have your Bibles open. If, if not, I'll remind you it's page 941. That's <clears throat> where we are. But you back up to the page before um, chapter 1, verse 16 and 17. Notice, as he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation Only to those who believe. It's to everyone who believes. Now, to everyone who believes, but only to those who believe. It is not the power of salvation. There is no salvation. There is no good news unless there's faith. And then to emphasize it, he says, for the righteousness of God, the saving activity, the saving outreach of God is revealed from faith for faith. And uh, the best interpretation of this, it's a kind of rhetorical way to say, from It's faith from beginning to end. It's all faith, only faith. So you experience this salvation of God only as you believe. And then he reinforces that again in that passage as it's written. And he quotes it back at the righteous shall live by faith. So then to our passage in verses 21 through 31... You notice that he says in verse 22, it's the righteousness of God. And some people think this is redundant, but 
he's just underscoring it. It's through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. And I think the second one is just to, to underscore it's for anyone who believes. That's encouraging. But it's exclusive. It's only those who believe. But anyone who believes. So it narrows it to one way to receive this salvation. This helpless dependence. But that helpless dependence throws it open to everybody. Anybody. And helpless dependence means that we have no resources of ourselves. We are empty-handed. We are weak. And as the hymn says that we've sung recently, naked I come to thee for dress, helpless look to thee for grace, foul I to the fountain fly. I don't, I don't come to the fountain half clean or cleaning myself. I come with all my stench and foulness. I come like that. That's faith. That's helpless dependence, having no resources, no strength, nothing in myself. I trust completely in him. So, and, and so he, he continues to emphasize that. Notice in verse 25, God put forward as a propitiation. Literally, it reads, through faith. He's a propitiation, that is, he's a satisfaction for my sin only if I receive it by faith, as it's put in our translation. And then at the end of verse 26, he's the just and justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Or in verse 28, we're told that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. And so as that beautiful passage in Isaiah 64, 4. Who has ever heard of a God like this who acts for those that wait on him? Who ever heard of such a God? You know, the idols are very different. You have to serve the idol. You know, and the idol needs you and needs your service. But for Yahweh, it was totally different. You come empty-handed and he acts for you. The most startling thing in the Bible, just about for me, is the fact that Jesus says, when you come to the, the, uh, the kingdom, you will sit at table and I will serve you. And it just seems like a bizarre, blasphemous thing that I'm sitting at table and Jesus is serving me because that seems to make me the Lord. But the point is, I must serve you because you have no way to serve anything. You have no resources. You have nothing. I will be giving to you forever. I will be supplying what you do not have forever. So we come helpless. And it's so important that we realize, especially as believers of some years, it never stops being that way. We, it's amazing how quickly we can think, after all this time, I've come upon this sin or this attitude in my heart and I feel, I, I can't believe that I thought that. I can't believe that I did that. I can't believe that I said that. And suddenly we think that grace isn't grace and that I've got to work my way back after all this time. That's just unforgivable that I would do such a thing. And we start sinking into a performance. Then we, we start thinking, well, I've got to do a few things. And after a few days, maybe I can tuck those in and say, hey, I know I messed up, but look what I've been doing the last two days. Can you forgive me now? 
It's never on that basis. It never was to start with. You know, it never was because you brought something to God. And as I've said before, if the the scriptures are saying this, if you put all of your good things in front of God, all of anything you have to try to gain some entrance into his acceptance and favor, he just sweeps it all off and says that has nothing to do with it. Your goodness doesn't come into play in terms of my acceptance of you. And of course, he points us to what he has accomplished through Jesus Christ to take away our sin. What he has accomplished in Jesus Christ, that by trusting in Christ, we will have a perfect righteous standing before God. We will be embraced in his favor forever through Christ. So it's by faith that we experience the salvation of God. But secondly, it's by faith that he justifies, and I want to say it this way particularly because of the way the grammar is here, that he justifies those who've lost the glory of God. So look at verses 23 and 24. Verse 23 is basically a reminder, a summary statement of everything that he has written about the sinfulness of man. You can hear the echoes of the alls of uh, verse 12 of this chapter. All have turned aside. No one does good, not even one. None is righteous. You see that language. And so right after he says the righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, he goes back to that statement. He, you see, at this point, he's still coming after the Jews, especially. Remember, this is basically a synagogue approach, the way Paul would preach to the Jews. And that was the whole point that he's been trying to make in chapter 3 earlier. It's Jews and Greeks that are under, under sin. And he says in verse 19, whatever the law says, it first speaks to you Jews. You under the law. Don't think that the law protects you and it's going to condemn everybody else. First, it condemns you if it's going to condemn anybody. And so here again, he's coming at that, that thing that it's everyone. There's no distinction. It applies to everyone. But the grammar is so interesting because he says... All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And then there's this participle. It says, it reads like this. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God being justified. Now, the New American Standard puts it really well there. It's like nothing in between those. All have fallen short of the glory of God being justified. A gift by his grace. That's the way it reads. A gift by his grace. You realize all you bring before God is that you are without his glory. That takes in these ideas. You have lost your likeness to God. You've lost your love for God. You've lost fellowship and favor with God. You've lost your life in God. You've lost any hope of having God in eternity. The glory of God is gone. Being justified. He justifies those that are totally ungodlike, you see. He justifies, in, in the short version is in chapter 4, justifies the ungodly. You have similar emphasis uh, later in chapter 5, when he says in verse 6, while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for whom? The ungodly. Or verse 8, shows his love for us, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
Or verse 10, if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God. Ungodly, enemies, sinners, get the point? God doesn't look for the good people. There aren't any out there. All have lost the glory of God. And we come with our lost glory, our degradation, having turned away from God and become totally un, or unlike God fundamentally. We still have his image in many ways. But, but it's been vitiated. It's been ruined. And as we come in that condition, we are declared righteous. It's, it's so far from works. It's, all you bring is your trash in a sense, isn't it? You bring what you're not. You bring your helplessness. You bring your degradation. You bring your lostness. You bring your corruption. And you just say, Lord, have mercy. Have mercy. I have nothing to bring. That's faith. That's faith. Helpless dependence. And it's, it's put so beautifully right there as the ones who've lost the glory are justified. Justified. It reminds me of the great hymn we sing. And in this hymn, Joseph Hart is urging people not to hold back. So at this point, we're kind of dealing with the anxious one. You know, when you begin to realize your sin, you want to fix it before you get to God. You want to be approachable for God. You know, it's just like if somebody's coming over suddenly, we, we had, uh, th- this is no fault of, of, so this is not a statement. I, I know one time I said something about the refrigerator having something rotten. And of course I thought I shouldn't have said that because that's a reflection on my household, you know? And so what I'm about to say was it because we had a problem with our pipe and I had take uh, uh, the sink was stopped up. I'd taken off the trap and tried to clean it up. Didn't do anything, so I knew it was going to be a rotor-rooter thing, okay? So we'd cleaned out all of our stuff, and there was a lot of stuff under a big area under the sink, and it was all sitting on the uh, counter waiting for the plumber to come. But then uh, Bryce was going to pick me up to go to General uh, to, to Presbytery, and the plumber had not come. Well, it was fine for all that stuff to be sitting there for us, but suddenly... Bryce might walk in. He might see her kitchen is terrible. You know, that you all have that feeling, you know, like it's okay, but gosh, if they come in, I've got to fix it. And we're like that with God. You know, we, we, we can't, I can't just expose my life to him. I can't just tell him what I am. I can't just come foul and corrupt into his presence and just ask for forgiveness. Well, I want to tell you, you can't come any other way than that way. He will not have you any other way than that way. Any other way is a lie than helpless dependence. And so our tendency is to want to fix it, clean it up, do something to make myself presentable, to make, my, to, to make God you know, favor me for something in me. And he says, come ye sinners... Poor and wretched, weak and wounded, sick and sore. Now, if you, you may be sitting here saying, eh, I don't know if I can really say that about myself. Sinfully. Poor, wretched, weak, wounded, sick, sore. 
Jesus ready stands to save you. Full of pity, joined with power, he's able, he's willing. Doubt no more. See, the tendency of see your sin and you think, there's no way, there's no way. As we've said before, you know, a person who's poor, have no money whatsoever. And your argument is, well, I want to help you. Yeah, but I'm so poor. Okay, I want to help you with some money. Yeah, but you don't know how poor I, I know. The poorer you are, the more I want to help you. You know, it, it, you, you see it with money there. Well, of course, that's why... Well, it's the same with your sinfulness. No matter how much you argue your sinfulness to God, he says, I know, that's why it's got to be me. That's why I want to help you. The depth of your sin doesn't make me turn away from you. It makes me want to help you all the more because you need my help. And you can't be helped in any other way. See, the seriousness of your sin is the very reason that you must have him and why he wants to save you. It says, Come you needy, come and welcome God's free bounty, His free bounty. Glorify it. Just glorify His bounty, His willingness to save you by coming. You see, it honors Him when you just come and say, Here I am in my sinfulness. I'm going to honor how gracious you are, how merciful you are. He even says, True belief and true repentance, every grace, grace that brings you nigh without money. Come to Jesus Christ and buy you say, I don't know if I can believe. I don't know if I can repent. He says, I'll give all of that to you. Without money, without... Just come to me. Just come to me. Trust me. He says, let not conscience make you linger, nor of fitness fondly dream. See? I'll dream of fitness. Maybe I'll get myself ready. Maybe I'll pull it together. All the fitness he requireth is to feel your need of him. So he justifies those who've lost the glory. And I'll just mention this last because it is important. He, by faith, we experience his salvation. By faith, he justifies those who've lost the glory of God. By faith, he justifies religious people. It's only by faith. In verse 27, he refers to something he had said before about the Jews he spoke in chapter 2, you call yourself a Jew, rely on the law, you boast in God, he says. And later in verse 23, he says, you boast in the law, but you dishonor God by breaking the law. They depended on the law. They, re, re, they depended on the fact that they were circumcised. They depended on the fact that they kept the Sabbath. They depended on the fact that they kept the dietary laws. All these things were important to them. Uh, and they felt like it insulated them. It, it, as we've talked about this, it had them in a protective bubble. And in the midst of that, they lost track. They, their hearts turned from God. They lost the whole heart of what the Old Testament was about. As Jesus summarized it, it's loving God and loving your neighbor as yourself. That's the essence of the law. But they were focused on what Paul calls the works of the law, verse 20, and here in verse 28, focused on this outward keeping of the law, where the heart was gone. So that Jesus in Matthew 23 says, yeah, you, you, you tithe all of these little bits of 
spices, but you neglect justice and mercy and faithfulness. You can hear Jesus say, what is that all about? You're tithing all these things, but there's no justice and mercy and faithfulness? He says, outside, yeah, you look real white, but inside, you're full of greed. You're full of greed and and self-indulgence. And Stephen is able to say that you have uncircumcised hearts and ears. You've resisted the Holy Spirit. You're stiff-necked, as Paul basically said in the end of chapter 2, that you're outwardly circumcised, but you're not circumcised of heart. You see, they didn't even see their need of it. Because circumcision, by its nature, was declaring to them, you've got to be transformed in your innermost being. That's how... That's how bad it is as a human being. And you Jews, you have the very mark that's crying out to you that you must be transformed. And yet, you refuse to be transformed. You've refused God's mercy. You don't see your need of His mercy. You don't see yourself as broken before Him and welcoming His mercy and thankful and then out of that flowing grace and love to others. It was in the double sense, heartless religion. No heart for God and certainly no heart for people. So he says, what becomes of our boasting? It's excluded. By a law of works? Is that what the law is? It's just a law of works? He says, no. It's the law of faith. That always in the Old Testament, it was a law that had at its heart trusting in God. That's why in verse 31 he says, by this faith, by talking about faith, do we destroy the law? Do we overthrow the law? He says, no, we establish the law. We put it on a good footing. We show the true nature of obedience. And it's interesting that Paul says is the whole point of his apostolic work in chapter 1, he says that it is to bring about the obedience of faith. The whole end result of the gospel is so that as we believe that we will issue out of that faith a true heart obedience to God. Paul's not talking about turning away from the essence of the law of loving God and loving people. Later in chapter 13, he talks about this is the fulfillment of the law, is love. But he is castigating the Jews because the heart of the law was gone. Mercy and faithfulness and trust was gone. And there was just an empty shell of outward things and thinking even then, that that outward shell was going to keep them in the day of judgment. They thought they were elect Presbyterians. <laughs> they thought they were the elect of God. They thought they had the only doctrine in the wor- world. They did, and they had the Word of God. No other peoples had the Word of God. Nobody else had uh, the Torah, the law. And they rested in what they had, what they knew, the privilege of being the people of God. But the heart was gone. And so for us religious people, we can never, ever, ever drift and lose track 
And that's why every day there should be, and I know for, for all of us this is hard, but for all of us every day should be, oh, Lord Jesus, thank you. And really feel it, you know. Really feel it. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you have paid my sin. Thank you, O oh God, that I can come into your presence through Jesus Christ and that I am in your favor through him. I praise you, O oh God. That's why every day we need to be praising God, enjoying God, delighting in God. And what's the centerpiece of that? What he's done in Christ Jesus. But that fades. We start just going through life and we're religious people. We go to church and we know certain things and all that sweetness begins to fade. And as John says in Revelation, you've left your first love. The heart's gone. It's dangerous. And the Lord's Supper tells us otherwise. You're not going to bring anything down here. You're just coming down here to receive. Just to receive the symbols of the salvation in Jesus Christ. As you are, in all your helplessness, and all your corruption, you're coming to Jesus as the people of God saying, Lord, I continue to say, you are my only life. You are my only hope. You are my only salvation. Let us pray. Oh, Lord. We, we hardly know why we do what we do. We, we're a labyrinth of unbelief and wickedness. We have been made new in you, and, and the dominion of sin has been broken, and, and we are growing in grace, but part of that grace is exploring all the tunnels that have been formed and discovering all the byways and some leftover swamps and ways that we don't believe you. If we believed you perfectly, we'd be perfect, but we don't. We're not. And so, Lord, we depend on you afresh to lead us in the way of faith, of faith. Give us the rest of faith so that we won't be anxious. Give us the rest of faith so we won't be boastful. Make us humble happy people in Christ. Broken and yet refreshed. Laid low, yet lifted high in Christ. And oh Lord, may we experience your favor and your love more and more deeply. Even as Paul prayed in Ephesians 3 that we would know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. It's height, it's depth, it's width, it's length. That we could be filled up to all the fullness of God. There it is. If we explore and taste more and more deeply the love of Christ, we get filled up with God. He governs us. He is the one that owns us. He is the one we look to. Oh, bless us with that, Lord. Bless us with faith. Even that is in your hands. And we rest in you that by your salvation you would grant it. And if there anybody anybody here that has never trusted Christ, may he or she right now this morning put his trust in you.
put his trust in the Lord Jesus Christ who has died for sinners, who alone can take away sin. Oh, grant that faith in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. Our prayer is that this message was able to nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you. Please visit our website for worship service times, directions to the church, and to subscribe to this podcast. Our web address is fortworthpca.org. Fort Worth Presbyterian is a part of the Presbyterian Church in America. my fears away won't you chase my fears away